Hello and welcome to Beyond the Bio. Today I am joined by Danny Wallace, aka the Queen Bee. And if you haven't met Danny yet, you will definitely want to go and check her out after this. What Danny doesn't know about speaking is just not worth knowing. She really is the expert in all things speaking, as you will see from this episode. Having grown up on the council estates of Preston, Danny has survived the adversity of domestic violence, homelessness and single parenthood to become a leading voice in empowerment and has quickly become one of the most exciting motivational speakers to hit the UK stage in a long time. If you've seen Danny speak on stage or online, you will totally know what I'm talking about. She draws on over 20 years experience in business from presenting and eventing to leadership and management training. Danny uses her knowledge of both traditional employment in the corporate sector and self-employment in the entertainment industry to deliver memorable, inspirational and thought-provoking talks in her own unique and distinctive style, bringing truth, humour and a shit ton of practical advice. You are going to absolutely love this episode. Danny has so many awesome tips and tricks that we can all learn from to improve our speaking style. So let's get stuck in. Danny Wallace, welcome to Beyond the Bio. It is so nice to have you on the show. I've been wanting to speak to you for ages. I am so grateful to be here. Thank you for asking me. Hello, you. How are you? I'm good, thanks. I'm excited to talk to you all about speaking because speaking is a topic that so many people are interested in. So many people want to get more speaking opportunities, to be more confident when they're speaking. So I thought, you know, who else would I possibly ask to to come and chat about this subject? So obviously the listeners have, have heard a bit of an intro there about you, but it would be awesome if you could share a bit more about your journey and how you became the most exciting speaker coach in the UK. What a title. I love that. The most exciting speaker coaching, because I'm excited about it as well. It's that like one way to be the most exciting is to be the most excited. And I really am. So I started my speaking journey in performance. So I've been a performer ever since I was seven years old. It was one of the outlets for my creativity when I was young. There was lots of chaos that was happening and lots of things that were happening, like where we grew up on the council estates and people like us, people from where I come from, don't really go on to become performers, certainly don't go on to become entrepreneurs, so to speak. And I always felt like the people use the term black sheep. I'm not fond of the term black sheep, but I was always felt like I was destined for something different. And essentially at 16 years old, I ran away with the circus. Um, well, not quite the circus, but <laughs> I became an entertainer and I traveled abroad and I was singing and hosting from when I was really young but it wasn't ever considered a proper job. So I had this fantastic experience where I got to take up space on stages, got to introduce acts onto the stage. I got to be an act on the stage. I got to really explore my personality, my sort of outward facing personality. But I came back to the UK when I was in my late teens, early twenties to get a proper job. So what I did was I moved from I swapped a stage for a stage. So I moved into corporate. I started working for some phenomenal brands, Jackie Land Rover, Coffin Warehouse, where the Coffin Warehouse was on the rise, working in their L&D facility. So what I got to do was speak and present still, but in that training and learning development environment. So the two started to cross over. And then after a while, 
and I thought, you know what? I can do this for people in the outside world. It doesn't just have to be within the confines of, of one company. I could go out and teach lots of people how to take up space. And that's really where the speaking started. So really heavily centered in performance and what makes a great performance, but also how do you deliver great messages? So I really cut my, went to university by being on stage and by actually doing the job of speaking. So brought all that together and created IATQB, which stands for I am the Queen Bee, uh, which has nothing to do with me and everything to do with reclaiming our birthright to success and taking up space where we should. What a story. I used to work in L&D a million years ago for John Lewis. And I just think of some of the more traditional trainers that I have observed. And I just think you bouncing into a training room and just uh, giving it large, I can imagine, was very uplifting and energetic, I'm sure. I think people learn. I don't think I know this. People learn best when they're in their joy space when they're in their play space like it's very difficult to retain information if you're inherently bored when you're receiving that information if there's nothing you know exciting to attach to that information if your job is just to absorb straight information it doesn't make for very compelling memories and so then it's difficult to recall right so if you create experiences where people are encouraged to be curious, they're encouraged to think outside of the box, they're encouraged to actually enjoy themselves, then they attach great memories to this learning and it helps further embed it. And that's something that really runs through everything that I do when I'm training with my clients now and indeed when I'm speaking on stage or or creating the events that we create at IATQB. It's really bringing joy into the things that we do even when we're talking about serious things to help drive that message home help people retain the information so they can recall it makes total sense especially in in a training scenario where people are often there because they have to be there rather than they've chosen (laughs) to be there so totally get it okay so thinking about public speaking specifically obviously it can be daunting for lots of people Mm -hmm. what are some of the common challenges that you've seen in clients and how are you helping them to overcome these obstacles this is this never fails to amaze me but glossophobia the fear of public speaking is the number one fear in the western world no way yeah it's an actual fact an actual fact, dropping dropping the fact bombs here on the podcast today. But yeah, glossophobia, it's called fear of public speaking. It's the number one fear in the Western world. That's above fear of heights, spiders, ladders, like whatever people could be frightened of. Fear of being without your mobile phone, which is called nomophobia, by the way. But <laughs> glossophobia surpasses all of those, the fear of public speaking. And it's actually centered in the fact that we are, and we forget this, We are animals. And when, as animals, we are presenting ourselves to a room of people, essentially what we're doing is we are presenting ourselves as alpha in any particular field. If we're standing up and asking for all eyes to be on us, what we're doing in that pack situation, that tribal situation is saying, everyone look at me, I am the alpha in this moment. So what essentially that you're doing is if you're not already established alpha, is you're challenging somebody's alpha somewhere according to the limbic part of your brain. So what I do with my clients, helping them understand what true psychology is happening, what actually is happening physically to them and what subconsciously is going on. And when they understand that and can apply some logic to it, we can start to be more intentional about how we overcome it. So if you know that 
automatically your body is going to behave as if you are challenging alpha, which is going to throw you into a stress response, which is fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. You're going to get that prickly under the arms feeling. You're going to start feeling a bit sweaty. The cortisol's firing off. The adrenaline's firing off. If we understand how that works and why that's happening, it becomes less less of something to be scared of, right? So you know, I will naturally feel like this because my body thinks I'm challenging alpha at the minute. We can logic this out a little bit. Am I really challenging anyone's alpha? No. Am I trying to help someone in the room? Yes. All of a sudden you can start to detach that subconscious stuff that's going on. And one of the things that I teach people to do is power posing, Sophie. So power posing is where you hold your body in what you would, I would describe as an alpha state. So broad shoulders. You, I love that you're doing that. But you, you can't see, but Sophie, all of a sudden she's just, her back suddenly becomes straight. Her shoulders are back. Her chest is broad. She's, she's doing the, the strong man arms. People might want to like plant their feet firmly on the floor, like shoulder width apart, have a really firm stance. Uh, they might want to put their hands on their hips or their Arms in the air, I tend to have my hands into fists and put my arms in the air, making my eyes wide, smiling. Actually, what you're doing there is you're telling your body with its physicality that you are alpha. If you think about how a beta person or a beta animal holds itself, they hold themselves in a smaller way. They sit or stand with their shoulders curled. They hold themselves smaller. They might avert their gaze. Whereas if you are holding yourself in an, in an alpha state, just physically, before you do anything else, prior to the thing that you're scared of doing, in this case, doing speaking, then you flood your system with the alpha hormone testosterone as opposed to cortisol and adrenaline. And that puts you on the front foot. So you can actually trick your body into feeling stronger before you go into a situation. So we do that paired with incredible preparation. So confidence, really. The conversation I often have, Sophie, around confidence is that they don't feel confident. The confidence is something that inherently happens. Confidence is just knowing. So if you are prepared for the time that you are going to speak, even if that's just introducing yourself, if you're super prepared and you know what you're going to say, like really know, right down in your stomach, no. Like you know how to tie your shoelaces, no. And you are holding yourself in a way that tricks your body into being on the front foot, then all of a sudden from a rounded out package, you are feeling stronger going into a situation where you may have otherwise been a little bit more scared. Love it. I, I Already I'm thinking I need to take some notes when this episode <laughs> comes out so I can, I can think about those. So thinking about the fact that most people, if not everyone, get some level of nerves when they're speaking, like do you still get nervous? So, you know, someone that speaks as often as you, do you still get it? I get nervous, but in in a different kind of way. So I'm really lucky that I have had opportunities to speak to rooms of five people all the way up to 10,000 people. And is a sea of 10,000 people a scary prospect? Absolutely. But actually, I think you get past a few hundred people, it just becomes a sea of faces anyway, certainly for me. So I get nervous when I'm trying a new talk out and I want to land the message. So if you imagine that as a speaker, you are a pilot and your talk is is an aeroplane and it's your job to get as many passengers on that aeroplane as possible. Then as a pilot, you need to arrive in your destination, taking all those passengers with you and then convince those passengers to stay with you on a holiday afterwards. So when I've got something new that I'm testing out for the first time, I always feel a little bit of nerves. Are they going to get this? Are they going to understand this? What I'm trying to say, especially when I'm saying big things, the whole MO of the work that I do is to create safe spaces, to have conversations that matter. So we'll often 
facilitate conversations around inclusion, we'll facilitate conversations around LGBTQ plus rights, for example. And sometimes I'll be taking those conversations into spaces where they wouldn't normally have those conversations. So do I feel nervous? Not necessarily nervous, but I really care and I really want to land the message. And I feel that harder in the spaces that I haven't been in before or if I've got a new talk. You know, when you're doing those massive ones where you've got loads of people and there's no interaction because that's just not there's too many of them and it's more you giving a talk how do you kind of keep yourself going when you don't really know what the response is from the audience I'm just thinking about an experience that I had literally last week maybe the week before actually where I was doing a a keynote at an event in Leeds and it was very much me presenting something and it was really hard to read the room because it was a early careers conference so everyone was sort of fairly early on in their career and just kind of absorbing everything and it was a 45 minute slot so a reasonable amount of time and I was I was just kind of going and going and trying to keep it quite pacey because I had a lot to to cover but inside I was feeling like do they like this are they listening like I couldn't quite read the room however when it ended I had loads of people coming up to me I've had loads of messages so I know it went well but I didn't know that at the time so are there any tricks when you can't read the room because there's so many people there and it's not interactive to just kind of keep yourself going a bit because I, I, I find that quite hard yeah and do you know what I think that if you're just giving a presentation, and, and, and this may be controversial, I am a fan of breaking the fourth wall. I'm a fan of eliciting response on purpose so that the audience feel close to me. If I'm just giving information, then there's the divide of there's, there's me and then there's the information and then there's the audience. Whereas what I, well, what I want to see from more and more speakers is is interaction, is a litmus test in the room, is a temperature check. Are you all following what I'm saying? You can ask rhetorical questions to elicit nods. What I often do is I will ask a question like, don't we all agree with this? And I'll do a double head nod and I'll just check to see a few of the faces and get the head nod back. So we're doing this right now. So we're in mutual positive interaction right now, Sophie. So I'm nodding. I know you can't see this if you're listening at home. I'm nodding as I'm explaining this and Sophie's nodding along. And that is a really great way to temperature check. It's being brave. It's allowing yourself to take risks on stage, even when you're giving a presentation to break that fourth wall and elicit a response. So instead of hoping, spraying and praying, like I'm going to give this information and just hope when I land the plane that everyone's going to want to come on holiday with me, like check in, what's the fun bus sounding like behind you? Like, are we all okay? Are you with me? (laughs) Are you with me when I'm sharing this information? Is this making sense to you all? Can you see where I'm going with this? Or even acknowledging that they might not be in conversation with you saying, okay, stay with me because I'm going to get to the point in a second, especially if you're framing with a story. So allowing yourself to break that fourth wall, to elicit maybe even rhetorical responses from the audience, you'll be able to feel from them easier than presenting to them and it being a one-way street. People want connection from folks now more than ever. And when you are, especially when you're delivering in a room, allowing for that call and response, even if it's not, can we all get a hell yes and expecting everyone to say hell yes, getting that eliciting that call and response even energetically is definitely a risk that I want more speakers to take to help them land that plane better and help them feel the energy and am I getting this right are they enjoying it are they with me on it ask them 
ask yeah. them, get the response. Yeah, I think that's a great show. I did have some questions in it, to be fair, but I think that some of your tips there around, you know, getting them to nod along, that would give me a, a, a real clue. And I quite often try and make eye contact with people that I can see and them kind of giving me a smile shows that they're listening and that they're engaged. So things like that, I think, work, work really well. But I will add some of those tips next time. Create intention. Like, if you're going to ask a question, ask it of somebody, like point at somebody. And all of a sudden, everybody, maybe not actually, but don't jab your finger in the face. But, <laughs> but if you're asking a question of somebody, all of a sudden the rest of the room are at risk of having a question asked of them. All of a sudden, there's a little bit of tension there. Oh, is she going to come and ask me a question next? So if you are asking a question, like, don't be scared of saying, like, do you agree with me? And you could point to someone and elicit a response from one person who may be the temperature check for the rest of the room. So it's interesting to play with that sort of tension dynamic. Nice. I like it. So what would you say are some key elements that make a speaker truly engaging and memorable to their audience? Is it all about being funny or are there any other things that we can do? I think if you were to pin everything on being funny there'd be a lot of speakers out there that would flop because some people aren't naturally like I've got funny bones. I'm very lucky. I've been in entertainment for a long time. And I think as soon as you get a, a laugh from an audience, it almost like shatters the, the glass a little bit and you can kind of loosen up. So humor plays a big part in it and people feel connected through humor, but it might not be your style. So things that I really like my speakers especially if they're not inherently funny like they'll come to me and they'll say Danny do you know what I don't want to crack any jokes in fact what I'm speaking about is really serious and it doesn't call for for jokes or humor listening is really important when you're a speaker which feels really counterintuitive right because you're speaking you should be talking but allowing for pace and allowing to listen to the audience in the listening for their response even if it's like a reading the room it might be a sight listen if you will so if you're scanning the room and seeing how everyone is you're reading their faces that's an example of listening and adjusting accordingly when you're temperature checking like that visually it's easier for you to kind of maneuver so charisma or being engaging is really about breaking that fourth wall. So some of the things that we spoke about already will lend itself to being more engaging. Allowing yourself to take up more than just the column of your body's space on stage. So if you imagine you're a body and you're made up of stuff, but actually you have an energetic field that far exceeds your physical body. Allowing your arms to move into that space, you get to welcome people in. So outstretching your arms and bringing people in when you're making a point. Allowing, as long as it's not excessive, for gesticulation. You get to not just use your voice to speak, but you use your body to speak. And that's another way to get really engaging which is why so many enthusiastic amateur speakers out there are doing sort of half of these things but these things get really powerful when you become intentional about it so when you're intentional about your physicality you can use anchor points on the stage to move people through a story you can create a positive space on the stage you can create a negative space on the stage so then for example if you're selling from the stage and you've anchored positivity in a certain space go and sell from that space in the stage there's lots of tips and tricks that you can utilize if you allow yourself with intention so if you're an enthusiastic amateur out there and you're already kind of using some structures or you're already, you know, you're already engaging, 
be really intentional about what you're doing with your physicality and what you're doing with your words and you will garner better results. And are you a fan of kind of moving around the stage? Because sometimes you get a choice, don't you? Do you stand behind that lectern with your notes? Or I quite like roving around, mainly if it's, a you know, there's lots of people there and you want to feel like you've seen everybody. So that would be my preference. But sometimes that's not always possible depending on what the setup is. But I'm guessing you're going to say take that option if it's available. If it's available to you, absolutely. But it might not necessarily be your style or you may feel really nervous and feel comforted by having a lectern, something to hold on to, if anything else, right? But if you think throughout lockdown, for example, we were confined to a very small screen. So we're looking at each other right now, Sophie, aren't we? Through the lens of essentially, a, it looks like if we were on a Zoom, for example, we still have space within that, even though we can't between us get up and walk around. So if you're presenting on screen or indeed presenting from a lectern, you can still use your physicality without having to move around. So sometimes the event might not be able to facilitate you walking around and utilizing the space. If you have the option, do it. But if you feel safer, don't, but still utilize that energetic space that you have and not just your physical space. Everything that you do when you're on stage presenting, you can afford to do bigger. So it might feel like you're being really over animated when you're speaking. If you're speaking from a lectern and you're allowing yourself to gesticulate, you're just making yourself bigger for the rest of the room and the people at the back to see you. So it doesn't look as silly as you feel. So even if you are confined to a lectern or you prefer to, to deliver from a lectern, allow your physicality to enter into it. Use that auric space that you have, that energetic space that you have, and you will take up more space mm. anyway. And on the point around the virtual setup, is there anything that people should be particularly aware of when they're presenting online rather than in person? Any sort of quick tips that would help people presenting in that way? Two, two tips, and actually I'm not going to take uh, any kind of credit for the first one. So when you are delivering online, often what you will do is you'll either see yourself on the screen. I often find myself delivering to myself. And often, you know, we do this. If you've been on Zoom or whatever, we look at ourselves the majority of the time. We'd like to maybe say that we don't, but we definitely do. But if you don't have that, your eye line is really important. So pop some googly eyes wherever the camera is. If you can get some like stick on eyes, your eyes will want to speak to eyes. So when you're presenting or if you're recording something for someone, it's a presentation to keep you on track in terms of focusing your eyes on the lens, which ideally is the best way we make connection when we're online. If you're talking to the lens, essentially you're talking to the people on the other side of the camera or the other side of the screen. Googly eyes really help track your eyes to that if you can't see yourself to speak to yourself and I think when we are online I think when we are speaking to a screen it can feel quite cold so I, I just want to encourage people to imagine that the person they want to help the most is on the other side of that screen and that's who you're talking to. And don't worry about breaking that fourth wall as well. So even when I'm presenting on screen, even when I'm doing pieces to camera, it'll still feel quite personal. I'll be asking those rhetorical questions, even if I'm recording it and there's nobody there. Speak as if the person that you really, really want to help with your message is on the other side of that camera or the other side of that screen and speak to them. And when you're speaking to them, it feels much less like a presentation and much more like you're in conversation. And it's easier for that person, whoever that person is, whoever those people are on the other side to engage with you. 
Great advice again. Awesome. Love it. I think that's really good. I'm totally going to go and buy some googly eyes and just put, <laughs> just put them on my laptop for sure. I need to shout out my friend Tom Stanhope for that, by the way. Well He's done, a video Tom. extraordinaire. So thank you, Tom. <laughs> yeah, I really like that. Oh my gosh, I can't believe our time has almost run out. But I'm just going to ask you for one final set of tips around any specific techniques or exercises that you might recommend specifically for improving vocal delivery. So think about people's tone, pace or projection. Any quick wins there? So yeah, when it comes to tone and projection, avoid shouting, but allow yourself to speak louder. So there's a difference between shouting and turning up the volume on your speaking voice. So instead of shouting, just imagine you're trying to reach the person at the back of the room and allow yourself to push the sound forward as opposed to shout. Because as soon as you start shouting, it starts to sound aggressive and the tone changes. Also, if you have a microphone, you don't need to amplify your microphone is there to do it. So many people get hold of a microphone and all of a sudden they start trying to amplify their voice as well as the microphone doing that for them. So trust that if you have tech, that it is there to do something for you. If you have an accent, don't worry, but make sure you articulate. So I'm being really intentional right now to finish off all, I'm quite Northern. In fact, I sound like a Lady Peter Kay. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that, Danny. I sound like a Lady Peter Kay the majority <laughs> of the time and I speak quite quickly. But when we're doing things like podcasts, people don't have the benefit of seeing my body language or seeing my mouth move to lip read. So I'm much more intentional about my diction. I'm much more intentional about finishing off my words. So if you do have an accent, that's absolutely a-okay. Don't tone it down, but do make sure you finish off your words so that people can hear the beginning, the middle and the end of each of your words. Your tone and your pace are probably the most important tools that you have. You can speak really fast and get people really, really excited. And when you're making an important point, you can drop down and go staccato and really drive a point home. There's a brilliant TEDx talk. And the guy speaks for just five minutes. He doesn't give any sort of context or information, but talks you through how to deliver a talk. So I'm starting out very affably and I'm talking to you in, in a very affable tone of voice. And this is generating connection between the two of us. I will then ramp up the speed as I deliver the first idea to you. And he talks you through it. It's really, really good. In fact, I'll send you the link if you want to share. Nice. It's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll stick that in the show notes. That sounds cool. Love it. Oh, it's been so nice chatting to you. I could chat forever, but these are short, punchy episodes packed full of tips and advice and you've certainly given us that Danny if anyone wants to connect with you which I am sure they will where's the best place to find you I am across the socials I'm like sand at the beach I get absolutely everywhere it's at the queen bee Danny or you can go to www.iamthequeenbee.co.uk but the queen bee Danny on LinkedIn Instagram Facebook you'll find me awesome we'll make sure that those links are also in the show notes below thank you thanks for having me Thank you for listening. If you're serious about growing your profile, take our free profile assessment quiz to see where you're at right now and get hints and tips on how to improve your score. You'll find the link to the quiz in the show notes. If you've enjoyed the episode, it would be mint if you'd subscribe, like and leave a review. See you next Monday.